welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Sue's back with us for some more productivity insights. Hi, Sue. Hello. And we're going to talk about productivity evolution. So do you want to explain a bit more, put some meat on the bone? Well, we all know that the world's changing all the time and businesses have to be changing in line with that as well too. And it's so much easier if you can keep making constant changes, whether it's to your customer offer and then keeping your operating model in line with it or kind of always looking for those improvements in your operation because you're always having to look for cost savings and things as, as things go along. So it's much easier to do that in ongoing, regular, small steps where you're planning ahead rather than find yourself perhaps in a bit of a, a difficult time, maybe not going as far as a crisis, but then suddenly having to look for big changes Um And it can be easy to just do nothing for a while, to think, right, we've delivered a whole load of stuff, we can sit back for a while. Um, I think that's quite a dangerous strategy because it's so easy to get caught out. So constant change. I think if if you're not moving forward slightly all the time, you're probably moving backwards against the competition. There's only a limit. There's only so long you can carry on doing that. And technology moves quickly in some areas. In other areas, it seems to linger around and I'd probably use things like electronic shelf edge labels, RFID. There was a whole wave of people getting excited about tunnel payment at checkouts and things. And granted, there's some great case studies now about electronic shelf edge labels and lots of certainly fashion organisations using RFID, but it, it wasn't the tidal wave of change that was talked about five, six years ago. It's taken five, six years for people to really get on with it which I suppose is a case in point of if if you wait and wait and wait then there's a load of other stuff you could be getting on with and I assume some of that's cost that hinders that and I assume the technology gets quicker and better and cheaper and therefore the cost drops as it it becomes more openly accessible to the market but have you got any examples of where you've seen people do good kind of continual change yeah I suppose um, one of the clients that we had actually set themselves some targets And they did it from an efficiency study. So an efficiency study is one where we do laps of the operation. And from that, we record the proportion of time that's spent on the different activities that happen. So some of that will be non-value add time, so also known as lost and unproductive time, but also time on different aspects. So how long are they spending on admin versus doing other things? And actually, that organisation set themselves some top-line targets to move activity out of both non-value add and then the essential tasks that they have to do into customer time. And that's an organisation that, for them, spending more time with customer adds value. It's a very sales-orientated business. And because they started did started with a measure and then set themselves targets to move, it then gave them a very clear view about when they were then assessing any operational change they could make. They could then say, well, how much is this going to move the dial for us? And I always find efficiency studies a really great place to start when you're looking at these things because we've got some really good benchmarks now. So if you're talking about in warehousing, the amount of time people spend actually picking or putting stock away versus moving. So whether it's trucking or whether it's walking on foot, um, that's that's really insightful. And then for things like retail, we've got it on how long people are spending on handling stock. What's the ratio of does most of your delivery go out first time? So are you spending a lot of time on replenishment? Because that suggests that you're not putting it away first thing. So the fact that we can benchmark those things gives some people some really clear places to start, as well as 
kind of the observations and things that we make. And we've done a previous episode, haven't we, around efficiency study. If people want to dig into that in more mm. detail and activity study and role study and uh, yeah. predetermined MTM analysis. So I, th- I think there's two things to pick up on there. So one, it's it's not necessarily all about cost saving, maybe reapportioning costs. Yeah. And two, I think there's a massive art in the whole taking it out of task and process or non-value add and putting it in customer. I think it's quite easy to take it out of task and process, but almost increase your non-value add by yeah, stealth. Yeah. So, so are there ways that you've seen people have done a good job in terms of making sure it doesn't go and drop into the non-value add? I think it starts right back at the beginning. So um, a lot of businesses have a productivity roadmap, which is kind of what I, I refer to the other businesses having, so some clear targets. So in an ideal world, a productivity roadmap will look at quick wins, things you'll deliver this year. But the power of it is you'll be looking at things that you have to do the work for now to deliver next year. So I think the places that get it right, where they're able to put these changes in that don't deliver a lot of non-value add is, one, they've got a reasonable understanding of what the size of the change will be. So, for example, if I save a second on something that I do not very often, it doesn't add up to much. Is it really worth doing that change? If I save a second on something, but it's, for example, time between customers and it, I can't do anything else with that time, it potentially just drops into dead time. So the part that the people who've got a really good understanding of what a change will deliver for them and then how that relates to their salary budgets and kind of how their model works, then I think they're the ones that, that do best. And you really get to that by, one, having a clear understanding of what you're doing rather than grabbing at a headline. Because some of these changes can look quite glitzy and, and you know, exciting and when you look at what they really deliver in terms of realizable benefit, it might not be there. So one that got that a real clear eye on where the money's spent and what they could free up. Um, and the other thing is that they're probably doing quite a bit of testing and learning before they start. So, you know, how can you put it into practice, learn from it, tweak it before you go to a full rollout? Because once things are in full rollout, to change it is obviously much harder than if it's just in a testing stage. And it touches on a couple of chapters in the book, doesn't it? So I know we've launched the book at the Productivity Forum. Uh, lots of people there, well, everybody that came got a copy, lots of requests for copies since. Do you want to just touch on the on the book again briefly, just for those that weren't aware of it? Yeah, so it's intended to be something that um, you dip into. It's based around the 10 most frequently asked questions we get. And one of the chapters is about <clears throat> about productivity roadmaps. Um, so it's intended that you can read about it, get some background. There's case studies in there. There's quick wins. tells you how you can tackle it. So uh, hopefully it's something that's a very practical guide for people that are facing real-time challenges. And whether that's something that's a kind of a, an in-your-face-now challenge or whether that's I know that I need to do continuous improvement, I think for all those uh, situations it'll hopefully be something that's helpful. And design that you can kind of pick it up, put it down, jump in for a chapter that's relevant at the time. It's not a kind of cradle to grave read. No, no, it's not a start at the end and work your way through. They're independent chapters, so you can just dip in and out as you see fit. And if people want to copy? At the moment, they'll need to contact us. Um, Soon it's going to be available via Amazon. So it's kind of a week or so away from that. Brilliant. And then 12th September 2024 is now the confirmed date for the Productivity Forum next year. 
back at the National Conference Centre in Birmingham, which is adjacent to the Motorcycle Museum, so nice and easy for planes, trains, automobiles, maybe not bikes, maybe not walking. Um, but lots of people already registered from last year, so I think we're we're 70 plus already and we were just slightly over 100 last year. So registration links on the website if you want to come uh, open to kind of anybody who's in a customer facing organization there'll be people from contact centers hospitality retail um, warehousing warehousing, logistics logistics. so again building the agenda quite a way out but as we found last year the kind of seats get booked up early so if you need any more details look on the website or drop me or so a note and we'll take it from there so productivity roadmaps continually tweaks and changes trying to take it out of non-value add and essential task and process time the arts going back into customer or or saving so lots to think about i'm sure for every organization because as you said at the start it's a it's a turbulent time but then if you look back it probably always has been and, and always will be and the clever thing is if you can link it to your budgeting cycle so um, our experience as big organisations is that as budget time rolls around every year, you'll be asked for some savings. So actually, if you start scrabbling around then to find things, you probably won't be making your best decisions. If you're a few months ahead of that, so you've got a, a stream of tried and tested solutions, plus you've got an eye to, and actually next year, somebody's going to ask me the, the question again. It really helps you do things in a, in a much better way and be more streamlined and avoid knee-jerk changes that perhaps aren't the best for the business. Yeah, and I think as a minimum, I'd always work on the principle I need to in, absorb wage, wage inflation through initiatives. Yeah. Whether you're paying national living wage or above. And if you're paying above, you've always got to keep the gap. So that would be kind of my uh, my mindset if I was in that role at the moment. And I guess you always know what the inflation headline number is. You kind of, it's always news every month it gets reported, whether it goes up, down or um, stays the same. So, again, the inflation number is often a good guide to where salary changes might be. They're usually in the same sort of ballpark. They might be a bit higher if it's low inflation. They might be a bit lower if it's high inflation. But that's usually the sort of figure that you're looking for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So great insights again. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks, Sue. Bye.